All right, church, it's time for some good meat. We're going to dive into God's Word right now. Make sure you have your Bibles handy, and please open to the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 1, as we continue our study through the greatest sermon of all time, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, what a blessing it is to go through this great sermon together. Over the last couple months, we've been in Matthew chapter 5, the first of the three chapters in the sermon. And uh, today we pick up in the second of those three chapters, Matthew chapter 6. There's a story about a certain holy man that uh, lived in an eastern country. And every day he would go to a certain street corner. And before he would go out to that street corner, he would put on sackcloth and he would go to that certain street corner, this prominent intersection in town, and he would sit on a pile of ashes. And so as he would sit there, inevitably tourists would come by and it was very often a thing that they would ask him for a photo. And so he would always oblige. When someone asked for a photo with him, he would say, sure. But before he let them snap the picture, he would always rearrange the ashes so it would make him look more humble for the photo. I got to thinking about that, and I had to ask myself a pretty sobering question. Over the 40-plus years that I've been a Christian, I've done a lot of good deeds. I've done a lot of good things. I've been a Christian a long time. After all, I've done a lot of good things during those 40 years. But I had to ask myself the question, when I did those good things, how often did I make sure that I rearranged the ashes so that I would look good for the photo? I think that's a question that Jesus would ask of you today as well. As you look back on the good deeds that you have done and the good things that you have done, especially the times that you've helped someone in need, how often did you rearrange the ashes so you would look good when people saw you doing that good deed? I wonder how many of us do our good deeds primarily when people are watching. I believe what Jesus wants us as we dive into his word today to understand what good giving looks like in the kingdom of heaven. I'm calling today's message, Give Like God. In the second half of Matthew 5, we've been there over the last few Sundays together, Jesus gave us six examples of how God's standards are so much higher than the standards of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Jesus was raising the bar and drawing a clear contrast between true Christianity and Phariseeism. According to the Pharisees, not cheating on their wives simply meant avoiding sleeping with other women. But Jesus raised the bar, didn't he? He made it clear that obeying that seventh of the Ten Commandments isn't just about staying out of bed with another woman. It's about eliminating the lust in our hearts that is the root of adultery in the first place. So Jesus raises the bar. He makes it clear that to God, lust is adultery. According to the Pharisees, telling the truth most of the time was good enough. But Jesus raised the bar, telling his followers that God expects us to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, no matter where we are or who we're with. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
According to the Pharisees, personal vengeance was perfectly fine. And uh, you know what? Hating your enemies, that was fine too. But Jesus raised the bar. He said, no, it's not about having an eye for an eye in your personal relationships. He tells us there late in chapter 5, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. At the start of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus will shift gears just a little bit. He'll continue to point out how Phariseeism is trash. But at the same time, instead of shining the spotlight on how the Pharisees uh, were twisting and misinterpreting God's Old Testament laws, he'll focus on how the Pharisees have been hypocritically carrying out three religious acts. Number one, giving to the poor. Number two, prayer. And number three, fasting. We'll look at each of these three over the next several weeks. Our focus this morning is on the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus highlights this uh, religious act, this act of righteousness, as he calls it, this first one, which is giving to the poor. So Jesus addresses here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, this religious act that is so important for any follower of God to carry out, giving to the poor. And so here we go. We're in verses 1 through 4 of Matthew chapter 6. Hopefully you're there in your Bibles. Follow along as I read to us from God's word this morning. Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets or do like the hypocrites do as they do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not know, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. May God bless us as we read and study his word together today. Well, Jesus begins in verse 1 by saying, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus speaks this truth as he's getting ready to teach about giving to the poor and prayer and fasting. And so I'd like you to notice two things from the get-go. Number one, I want you to notice Jesus is saying that giving to the poor, prayer and fasting are all acts of righteousness. Uh, to say it another way, they are all good and necessary expressions of our Christian faith. So if we ask the question, does Jesus Christ say here that every Christian should give to those that are needy? The answer is absolutely yes. Is Jesus saying that every Christian should pray? Yes. Is Jesus saying that every Christian should fast? The answer, once again, is yes. These are all acts of righteousness that Jesus Christ wants to see in every follower of his. And the second truth that he reveals here in the first verse is that God does, under certain circumstances, reward acts of 
of righteousness. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the message today. So I want you to keep these two truths in mind. God expects us to give to the poor, to pray and to fast, and he promises to reward us for those acts of righteousness if we do them the right way. Now, if you're into uh, outlines, this is one of the easiest little passages to outline in the Bible. Just four verses. The first two verses, we could outline this way. The first two verses, Jesus says uh, the wrong way to give. And verses 3 and 4, he teaches us the right way to give. That's easy enough, isn't it? Verses 1 and 2, the wrong way to give. Verses 3 and 4, the right way to give. So let's start with the first two verses. According to Jesus, what is the wrong way to give? Well, in verse 1, Jesus points out that we shouldn't give in order to be seen by people. And in verse 2, Jesus points out that we shouldn't give in order to be honored by people. So it really boils down to this. When we give to people in need, we shouldn't announce it with signal flares or trumpets, right? Shouldn't announce it with signal flares so they'll see it. We should announce it with trumpets so they'll hear it. Uh, we shouldn't say, hey, everyone, look at me, look at me, look at me. You want to know who God's greatest gift is to the poor? You're looking at him. It's me. No, God says, don't send up the signal flares. Jesus says, don't announce it with trumpets. Now, you might think that Jesus is exaggerating a bit here with this example of announcing it with trumpets. But sadly, he's not making this stuff up. Did you know that in his day... There were Pharisees that literally announced their giving on street corners with trumpets. Well, what was going on? Well, if you had pulled one of those Pharisees aside and asked them, uh, what's up with you? Why are you blowing the trumpet when you're about to help poor people out? That Pharisee would have answered, I am only doing this to spread the word throughout town that things are being given away right now so the poor who are a few blocks away can hear it and come and be blessed. Oh, that sounds so convincing, doesn't it? Not really. Jesus knew the real motive. The trumpet wasn't blown by that Pharisee to announce that stuff is being given away for the good of the poor. The trumpet was blown to draw attention to the giver. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not what I've called my followers to do. Jesus knew the real reason the Pharisees blew the trumpets. And in verse 2, Jesus calls them hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites. Now, what exactly is a hypocrite? This is a really interesting word. In ancient Greece, uh, they had these wonderful plays that would take place. And when they had those plays uh, that took place in, in ancient Greece... That actor, especially the actor who wore a mask, was called a hypocrite. So a hypocrite was an actor who wore a mask in a play. In other words, he was a man pretending to be somebody else. That's what that word hypocrite means. A hypocrite is not a person who tries to be good and righteous and fails we all fail that way, don't we? We try to do what's good and we mess up. Even Paul himself 
said, oh, the good I want to do, I don't do. The good, the evil that I end up doing is not what I wanted to do in the first place. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this. He wanted to do good, but sometimes failed. The Bible makes it clear we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So a hypocrite is not someone who legitimately and honestly tries to succeed and fails. A hypocrite, and we'll put this on the screen for you, a hypocrite is an individual who uses religion to disguise his own sin. Hypocrites pretend to be good and righteous on the outside, but they're actually dishonest and corrupt on the inside. And Jesus tells us in no uncertain terms that the hypocrite's way of giving is the wrong way to give. God holds no reward for his followers who shine the spotlight right on themselves when they are giving. Those who shine the spotlight on themselves when they give. The compliments and the attaboys, that was a great job. That's all the reward that giver is going to get. That praise he received from man when he did what he did so that everyone would see it. During my study, I read this passage in a bunch of different translations and paraphrases. By the way, that's a great way to begin any Bible study that you do on your own. As you look at a passage of Scripture, sometimes it's just a single verse. And you look it up in at least three to five different translations. And that'll help shed some light on what God is saying in that verse. So I looked at this passage here, verses 1 through 4, in a number of different translations. I want to share two of those with you, uh, one translation and one paraphrase. First of all, the New Living Translation says it this way, verses 1 and 2. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. Now I want to share with you one paraphrase. This isn't a word-for-word or even phrase-for-phrase translation. This is more like a dynamic equivalent in modern-day English. That's why we call it a paraphrase, not a translation. This is out of the message I really like how it says this. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Uh, They have the prayer meeting and the street corner alike as a stage. Uh, acting all compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all that they get. So what's the wrong way to give? Let me just put it this bluntly for you. The wrong way to give is to give like a hypocrite, only giving when people are watching you, only serving When people see you serve. Only making sacrifices for others when it benefits you. Jesus makes it clear here in Matthew 6 verses 1 and 2. That is the wrong way to give. Well, what does Jesus say in verses 3 and 4 about the right way to give? Let me once again get you a a couple different translations. This first is a translation. Once again, I'll give you the message paraphrase. Here are verses 3 and 4. 
out of the New American Standard Bible, which, by the way, is an excellent translation. When you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your charitable giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I like that translation of that certain Greek word there, charitable giving. It's said a little bit differently uh, from the NIV that we read a few minutes ago together. Next up, the message paraphrase. Look at how the message paraphrases these two verses. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it. Quietly and unobtrusively, that is the way our God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. Isn't that good? That's how God does it. So that's the way you should do it. So what does Jesus mean? When he says in verse 3, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Well, in Jesus' day, this I think is pretty interesting stuff. In his day, when you went to the temple, there was a little offering box inside the doorway to the temple. And let me ask you, this little offering box, which was oftentimes designated as the alms box, the the box for the poor. We might today call it a benevolence fund. That little box was in the doorway. Uh, Guess which side of the doorway it was on? You guessed it. It was on the right side of the doorway. So what's Jesus saying? It seems pretty clear that what he's saying is when you're walking into the temple and you have that little gift that you're going to put in the alms box for the poor, I want you to be so discreet I want you to be so subtle that when you drop it into the little offering box, your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So what is the right way to give? The right way to give is to give discreetly and privately, motivated by a heartfelt desire to be a blessing to someone in need. See the difference between the wrong way to give and the right way to give. I really like how Matthew Henry says it. He says, when we take heart, I read that wrong. When we take, uh, I'm having a little trouble reading my notes here. Oh, here it is. When we take less notice of our good deeds ourselves, God takes the most notice of them. That's pretty good, isn't it? When we look the least at the good things we've done, God looks at them the most. So is Jesus teaching us that we should never give or serve when when people are watching? Some people walk away with that conclusion. I guess Jesus is saying I should never give when anyone's watching. I should never serve when anyone's watching. And and that's just simply not true. Uh, Think about my role as a pastor. Half of what I do is in the spotlight. It just kind of comes with my role. It comes with the territory of being a pastor. I cannot carry out my job without certain people seeing a lot of what I'm doing. And so Jesus isn't saying, never do any acts of service when people are watching and never give when people are watching. Naturally, at times, it's unavoidable. But what I do believe he's saying is this. When you have the option to do a good deed, either publicly or privately, do it privately. And most importantly, when it comes to your motive for giving, make sure that your motive is to truly help people in need, not to help 
yourself. So I believe it boils down to this. Give privately and give out of a sincere love for people. In other words, give like God. Amen? Give like God. Do you remember what James writes in James 1, 16 and 17? It's such a great passage. Most of you have heard these verses before. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So according to these verses, where does every good and perfect gift come from? It comes from God, right? It comes from Him. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Amen? Actually, I want you to say that with me. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. One more time. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Amen? So I want you to think about that truth. I want you to, to look down at your hand for a moment. Look down at your hand. Where did that hand come from? It's a gift from God, isn't it? And it's a marvelous gift how those fingers move and you can close your fist and open it and turn it back and forth and all around. What a, a marvelous range of motion in this hand. It's a gift from God, isn't it? And what about those two eyes you just look down to see your hand with? Where did those two eyes come from? Well, they're a beautiful gift from God. Same could be said about your two ears and that mouth of yours. Sometimes it gets out of hand, but it's still a, a gift from God, isn't it? If you've got a little hair left on top of your head, it's a gift from God. You could say the same thing about your arms and your legs. You could say the same thing about your feet, your heart that beats every single day to keep blood flowing to the extremities of your body, your brain that may not think as well as it used to, but still thinks a lot. It's a gift from God, isn't it? The lungs that breathe are gifts from God. What about that house that you live in? What about your car? They are gifts from God. What about your family, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids? They're gifts from God, are they not? How about your neighbors? How about your workplace? How about your church? How about your kids' and grandkids' school? They are gifts from God. How about this nation we live in? It's a gift from God. What about when we go out today and see the beautiful blue sky up above us? It's a gift from God. How about the sun that shines down on us and gives us heat today? It's a gift from God. All of these things are gifts from God. And I haven't even mentioned yet the Word of God, which is one of His most marvelous gifts, and the salvation He gives to us through Jesus Christ, and heaven that He's preparing for us in the days to come. These are all gifts of God, and I've only just scratched the surface of the good gifts of God in our lives. Amen. He is a giver of good gifts. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you saw God send up signal flares for all of these good things that he's done for you? He never did, did he? Well, let me ask you this. When was the last time that you heard God blow trumpets? Do, 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 do. When he answered one of your prayers. He's never done that, right? Isn't that interesting? It's interesting. You're telling me that when God knits you together in your mother's womb, however many years ago that was for you, when he knits you together in your mother's womb, one of the most remarkable miracles in the history of the world, when he gave you those ten fingers and ten toes and those two ears and that little button nose, you're telling me that when God did that amazing thing in your mother's womb, he wasn't sending up fireworks or blowing trumpets? 
That's remarkable. He wasn't patting himself on the back. That's amazing. Huh. You're telling me that when God saved you from a major car accident 10 years ago, and again last year, and, and, and really once again just last week, that, that God didn't send up the flares? He didn't blow the trumpets? What about when God gave you, seemingly out of nowhere, the exact amount of money you needed to pay rent? What about when God gave you strength to make it through the death of a loved one? What about when God protected you from COVID? Uh, Doesn't God send up fireworks any of those times? And the answer is no. He doesn't. He doesn't. Why not? Because God gives privately out of a sincere love for people. Or a more personal way to put it, God has given good gifts to you because God loves you. He's a giver of good gifts to you because God loves you. Even if you've been ungrateful, even if you've never thanked him once for all of these things I've just mentioned that he has blessed you with, he has given them to you without any fanfare, without any signal flares, without any fireworks, without any trumpets, because he is good. He has given you all of those wonderful gifts regardless of whether or not you thanked him. Because he is a giver of good gifts. That's what he does. He is a generous, giving God. I like to say it this way. God loves to give good gifts to us, not primarily for what he gets out of it, but because of what we get out of it. He is a loving father who loves to give good gifts, especially to his children who follow his son, Jesus Christ. So... When we give privately and lovingly and generously, we are following in the footsteps of God. We really are. We could never outgive God, but we sure try to follow his example by being big, big givers as well. So when we give privately, when we give generously, we follow in his footsteps. We need to take, I think, a a brief look at this idea of rewards. It's something that Jesus touched on briefly in the first of these three chapters. In chapter 5, we kind of glossed over it, but I want to spend some time talking about it now, at least a few minutes, because it's an important subject in these first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6. In fact, in these first four verses that we've just read together, Jesus mentions that word reward three times in these four verses. He mentions reward in verse 1, in verse 2, and verse 4. And in the next uh, 14 verses or so, verses 5 through 18, he mentions reward another three times. And so this is an important subject for Jesus. If he is using this word that many times, he's obviously trying to tell us something. Uh, Jesus, I believe wants us to know that if we as Christ followers carry out our acts of righteousness in the right way, God the Father will reward us in heaven. Now, he won't reward us with heaven. Don't be in that camp that thinks that your good works can get you to heaven. They never can. We can only make it to heaven by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's why he died on the cross, because our good works and even our religion can't get us there. But 
Once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and begin following him, at that point it's like the clock begins ticking. And everything that we do for Jesus Christ and for the good of others can be a reward in heaven. It can bring a reward in heaven. Now, honestly, this is where many Christians get hung up. A lot of Christians don't like this idea of thinking about heavenly rewards and talking about heavenly rewards because they believe that, you know, it somehow sabotages their pure motives for giving. They want to think, I do the right thing. I do the moral thing. I, I help out people in need uh, just because it's the right thing to do. I, I don't want to talk about rewards. I just do it because it's the, the right thing to do. And, and that sounds like it's the right thing, right? It sounds like that should be our motive. But let me give you a warning. When you try to be more righteous than Jesus, it always backfires. <laughs> let me explain what I mean by that. Jesus is talking a lot about reward in these first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6. Even in the first four verses, he's talking about reward three different times. And so when we push reward aside and say, no, 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 that's going to make my motives impure, we're in a sense having a false sense of humility, trying to be in a sense more righteous and more holy than Jesus. And that's not a good idea. It really isn't. It's perfectly fine for us to think about God's rewards. In fact, Jesus expects it. For those of you who have been Christians for a long time, I I want you to, to notice that uh, Satan is not just our enemy. He's not just the prince of, of, lie, prince of uh, lies and the father of lies. Uh, he's not just the, the kingdom of the power of the air, as Scripture says. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably noticed that Satan is also a booger, right? But not only is Satan, our number one enemy, a booger, he is a sneaky, sneaky booger, right? He's a sneaky booger. Do you remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11? That verse, 2 Corinthians 2, 11, uh, this tells us that Satan loves to outwit us. He tries to outwit us, so we should not be unaware of his schemes. And do you know what hit me this last week as I was preparing to share this message, as I was studying this passage? Something kind of interesting hit me last week. I don't know that I'd thought about it much before. You know, it's not God who doesn't want us to think about heavenly rewards. It's Satan. It's not God that wants us to ignore heavenly rewards. It's Satan. Now, why is that? Is it because Satan wants us uh, to, you know, avoid that motivation for serving Christ well? Yeah, that's probably part of it. He, he doesn't want us to be motivated to serve Christ well, so he, he doesn't want us to think about the reward that comes if we do serve him well. But I believe there's a much darker, more sinister reason why Satan doesn't want you or me to think about heavenly rewards. And this is about the best way I can say it. Satan wants you to take your eyes off God's rewards because he knows that if you take your eyes off God's rewards, you'll take your eyes off heaven. And if you take your eyes off heaven, you'll also take your eyes off God. Because God's rewards are part of who he is. N never forget this. God's character and God's rewards really go 
hand in hand. They go hand in hand. God's rewards are inseparably linked to his character. By nature, God is a good provider. By nature, he is a loving father. By nature, he is the giver of all good and perfect gifts. By nature, he is the great rewarder of those who accept his son and humbly follow in his footsteps. And when you recognize this truth and celebrate this truth and proclaim this truth, who gets the glory? God does, doesn't he? He gets the glory. So let me ask you some very important questions. Do you want God to be glorified? Do you want him to be glorified? Hopefully all of you would answer a resounding yes. I want God to be glorified. Okay, second question. Do you want God to get the glory for the good gifts that he's given you in the past? Hopefully, once again, you'd say, yes, every good thing that God's given me, yeah, I want him to get the glory for that. Well, then let me ask you a third question. Why on earth wouldn't you want God to get the glory for the gifts that he's planning to give you in the future? If you want him to get the glory, and you want him to get the glory specifically for the things he's already done, why wouldn't you want him to get the glory for the things he's planning to do later if you simply do what he's called you to do, to carry out what we're learning in the Sermon on the Mount as you follow Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven? Why wouldn't you want him to get the glory? So if you are trying to ignore heavenly rewards and try to back away from heavenly rewards, if you're one of those Christians that says, you know what, I don't need any rewards. If I make it into heaven, that's all the reward I need. Well, you know, that sounds like it makes sense to us here on earth. But God is shaking his head saying, no, 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 no. You've missed the point. The point isn't to make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth. The point isn't to get saved and just have fire insurance to barely make it there. God has saved you and kept your heart beating and your lungs still breathing so that you can do his work here on earth. And as an added bonus, he is a loving father, wants to bless you for that good work. He wants to reward you for that good work. He wants to give you the opportunity to allow your good work here on earth, not simply to make a difference in the lives of those around you, but also have the byproduct of storing up treasure in heaven. Because he is that kind of God. He's a giver of good gifts. Yes, the rewards you get in heaven will be awesome for you. But the more awesome they are for you, the more glory will go to God because he is the giver of every great gift down here and also in heaven. Amen. So let me end by saying it this way. Go ahead and think about God's heavenly rewards and talk about God's heavenly rewards and earn those heavenly rewards because every one of them will bring glory to God the greatest giver in the universe. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this challenging teaching. Lord, thank you for reminding us, Lord, that the way God sees it, if we're just doing all our good deeds and acts of righteousness for people to see, that's all the reward that we're going to get. People patting us on the back and saying, attaboy, way to go. That's all the reward we're going to get. Lord, help us when we need to, to do those acts of righteousness in front of people. When those acts of righteousness need to be done right then 
right there. But whenever possible, Lord, help us to do what we do for you privately. Help us to do it discreetly. Help us, Lord, not to let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. Help us to give the right way. Because, Lord, you see what is done in secret. And you are the great rewarder of all those things that we do in secret. You have said even a cup of cold water given to a child in Jesus' name will not be forgotten or unrewarded by God. Lord Jesus, help us to focus on rewards the right way. Lord Jesus, help us to do everything we can as discreetly as we can to bring you the most amount of glory and honor here on earth and for eternity in heaven. Thank you for being the greatest giver of all time. Help us to follow in your footsteps. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you knew Ben Benson, one of the trustees at our church, and it was just a week ago, this last Saturday, that we had his celebration of life at our church building. And as different people got up to share stories about Ben, they shared stories about how they would catch him on these Christian motorcycle outings out in the morning with his little trash picker upper stick picking up trash all around the campsite. On one occasion, there were a bunch of nails out in the dirt, and so he, he drove over to the local Harbor Freight and bought this super-powered magnet to pick up all those nails so the campsite wouldn't be a danger to the campers that were there. Many of us would catch him on a Sunday morning. He was the first one to arrive at the church building for several years. Every single Sunday, he'd be the first one there. And he'd be picking up trash all over the place. And of all these testimonies of Ben who hated to be in the spotlight, one thing struck me after I heard those testimonies. We don't know the half of it. I'm guessing that 95% of what Ben did, no one ever saw. And he wouldn't have been seen those times either. It just so happens we caught him a few times behind the scenes serving. And I got to thinking, you know what? That's kind of the, the idea that God has in mind here. It's what Jesus is trying to teach us here in Matthew 6. Do your good acts and your good deeds. Give your alms to the poor. Help those in need as discreetly as possible. Most people may miss them, but that's okay. God sees every single one. And I know that Ben will be richly rewarded in glory for all those many, many times. No one was watching, but he did his acts of service anyway. God bless you, Ben. Look forward to seeing you in glory once again. And with that, if you are a viewer on this broadcast today and you've never made a decision for Christ, oh, I hope you would do so today. It's not complicated. We just like to share the ABCs. A, admit that you were a sinner. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C, choose to follow him today. And one thing you need to do if you're serious about following him is getting baptized. And we'll have that baptistry set up next Sunday. Give us a call at the office. We'd love to talk with you about getting baptized as soon as possible to make it clear to God, the angels, anyone that's watching, I'm following Jesus Christ from this point forward. And with that, those of you who have made that decision to follow Christ, I invite you to join me in taking communion this morning together. Have your bread and your juice handy. We always like to remind ourselves what the purpose of communion is. Communion really looks back to what Jesus did. 
It looks in the moment to what Jesus Christ desires to do in my life today. And communion also looks ahead to that day when Jesus will come back to take us home to heaven. And so through communion, as we take of the bread that reminds us, reminds us of his body broken, as we take of the juice that reminds us of his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, we look back to what he did on the cross. We look inside, seeing what he wants to do in us today. And we look ahead to that great celebration that's coming when Jesus will take us home. Please take of the bread. Jesus said, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the juice or the wine, said this represents the new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did. Forgive me for anything in my heart or life today that is not supposed to be there. Wipe me clean, wash me clean in your blood and help me, Lord, in joy to look forward to the day that you'll call me home. And in the meantime, I pray that you would find me and that you would find each of us faithful to live for you, not to be applauded by man, but to be applauded by God and bring you as much glory as humanly possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Please join us for our final song of the service. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday for Palm Sunday.